0: Volume One, Chapter Four of Rob Roy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Fletcher. Rob Roy by Sir Walter Scott. Volume One, Chapter Fourth. The Scots are poor, cries surly English pride. True is the charge, nor by themselves denied. ARE THEY NOT, THEN, IN STRICTEST REASON CLEAR, WHO WISELY COME TO MEND THEIR FORTUNES HERE? CHURCHILL THERE WAS, IN THE DAYS OF WHICH I WRITE, AN OLD-FASHIONED CUSTOM ON THE ENGLISH ROAD, WHICH I SUSPECT IS NOW obsolete OR PRACTISED ONLY BY THE VULGAR. JOURNEYS OF LENGTH BEING MADE ON HORSEBACK, AND, OF COURSE, BY BRIEF STAGES, IT WAS USUAL ALWAYS TO MAKE A HALT ON THE SUNDAY IN SOME TOWN WHERE THE TRAVELER MIGHT ATTEND DIVINE SERVICE and his horse have the benefit of the day of rest, the institution of which is as humane to our brute labourers as profitable to ourselves. A counterpart to this decent practice, and a remnant of old English hospitality, was that the landlord of a principal inn laid aside his character of a publican on the seventh day, and invited the guests who chanced to be within his walls to take a part of his family beef and pudding. This invitation was usually complied with by all whose distinguished rank did not induce them to think compliance a derogation, and the proposal of a bottle of wine after dinner, to drink the landlord's health, was the only recompense ever offered or accepted. It was on such a day, and such an occasion, that my timorous acquaintance and I were about to grace the board of the ruddy-faced host of the Black Bear, in the town of Darlington, and Bishopric of Durham, when our landlord informed us, with a sort of apologetic tone, that there was a Scotch gentleman to dine with us. "'A gentleman? What sort of a gentleman?' said my companion, somewhat hastily, his mind, I suppose, running on gentlemen of the pad, as they were then termed. "'Why, a Scotch sort of a gentleman, as I said before,' returned mine host. "'They are all gentle, ye know. "'Though they are ne'er a shirt to back, but this is a decent Italian. "'A canny North Briton is ere cross Bearwick Bridge. "'I trow he's a dealer in cattle. "'Now oh, let us have his company by all means,' answered my companion. "'And then, turning to me, he gave vent to the tenor of his own reflections. "'I respect the Scotch, sir. "'I love and honour the nation for their sense of morality. "'Men talk of their filth and their poverty.' but commend me to sterling honesty though clad in rags as the poet saith i have been credibly assured sir by men on whom i can depend that there was never known such a thing in scotland as a highway robbery that's because they have nothing to lose said mine host with a chuckle of self-applauding wit no no landlord answered a strong deep voice behind him it's in because your english gougers and supervisors "'that you have sent down by North the Tweed "'have taken up the trade of thievery "'over the heads of the native professors?' "'Well said, Mr. Campbell,' answered the landlord. "'I did not think thou'st been so nearest, "'but thou kent I'm an outspoken Yorkshire chike, "'and how go markets in the south?' "'Even in the ordinary,' replied Mr. Campbell, "'wise folks buy and sell, and fools are bought and sold.' "'But wise men and fools both eat their dinner,' answered our jolly entertainer, and ere comes as prime a buttock of beef as ere hungry men stuck folk in. So saying, he eagerly whetted his knife, assumed his seat of empire at the head of the board, and loaded the plates of his sundry guests with his good cheer. This was the first time I had heard the Scottish accent, or, indeed, that I had familiarly met with an individual of the ancient nation by whom it was spoken yet from an early period they had occupied and interested my imagination. My father, as is well known to you, was of an ancient family in Northumberland, from whose seat I was, while eating the aforesaid dinner, not very many miles distant. The quarrel betwixt him and his relatives was such that he scarcely ever mentioned the race from which he sprung, and held as the most contemptible species of vanity the weakness which is commonly termed family pride." his ambition was only to be distinguished as william osbaldistone the first at least one of the first merchants on change and to have proved him the lineal representative of william the conqueror would have far less flattered his vanity than the hum and bustle which his approach was wont to produce among the bulls bears and brokers of stock alley he wished no doubt that I should remain in such ignorance of my relatives and descent as might ensure a correspondence between my feelings and his own on the subject. But his designs, as will happen occasionally to the wisest, were in some degree at least counteracted by a being whom his pride would never have supposed of importance adequate to influence them in any way. His nurse, an old Northumbrian woman, attached to him from his infancy, was the only person connected with his native province." for whom he retained any regard, and when fortune dawned upon him, one of the first uses which he made of her favours was to give Mabel Ricketts a place of residence within his household. After the death of my mother, the care of nursing me during my childish illnesses, and of rendering all those tender attentions which infancy extracts from female affection, devolved on old Mabel interdicted by her master from speaking to him on the subject of the heaths glades and dales of her beloved northumberland she poured herself forth to my infant ear in descriptions of the scenes of her youth and long narratives of the event which tradition declared to have passed amongst them to these i inclined my ear much more seriously than to graver but less animated instructors even yet methinks i see old mabel her head slightly agitated by the palsy of age and shaded by a close cap as white as the driven snow. Her face wrinkled, but still retaining the healthy tinge which it had acquired in rural labour. I think I see her look around on the brick walls and narrow street which presented themselves before our windows, as she concluded with a sigh, the favourite old ditty which I then preferred, and, why should I not tell the truth, which I still prefer to all the opera airs ever minted by the capricious brain of an Italian musdi. Oh, the oak!— the ash and the bonny ivy tree they flourish best at home in the north country now in the legends of mabel the scottish nation was ever freshly remembered with all the embittered declamation of which the narrator was capable the inhabitants of the opposite frontier served in her narratives to fill up the parts which ogres and giants with seven-leagued boots occupy in the ordinary nursery tales and how could it be otherwise was it not the Black Douglas, who slew with his own hand the heir of the Osbaldistone family the day after he took possession of his estate, surprising him and his vassals while solemnizing a feast, suited to the occasion? Was it not what the devil, who drove all the year-old hogs off the braes of Lanthorn side, in the very recent days of my grandfather's father?' and had we not many a trophy but according to old mabel's version of history far more honourably gained to mark our revenge of these wrongs did not sir henry osbaldistone fifth baron of the name carry off the fair maid of farnington as achilles did his crises and brises of old and detain her in his fortress against all the power of her friends supported by the most mighty scottish chiefs of warlike fame and had not our sword shone foremost and most of those fields in which england was victorious over her rival all our family renown was acquired all our family misfortunes were occasioned by the northern wars warmed by such tales i looked upon the scottish people during my childhood as a race hostile by nature to the more southern inhabitants of this realm and this view of the matter was not much corrected by the language which my father sometimes held with respect to them he had engaged in some large speculations concerning oak woods the property of highland proprietors and alleged that he found them much more ready to make bargains and extort earnest of the purchase-money than punctual in complying on their side with the terms of the engagements the scottish mercantile men whom he was under the necessity of employing as a sort of middlemen on these occasions were also suspected by my father of having secured, by one means or other, more than their own share of the profit which ought to have accrued. In short, if Mabel complained of the Scottish arms in ancient times, Mr. Osbaldistone inveighed no less against the arts of these modern synons, and between them, though without any fixed purpose of doing so, they impressed my youthful mind with a sincere aversion to the northern inhabitants of Britain, as a people bloodthirsty in time of war, treacherous during truce interested selfish avaricious and tricky in the business of peaceful life and having few good qualities unless there should be accounted such a ferocity which resembled courage in martial affairs and a sort of wily craft which supplied the place of wisdom in the ordinary commerce of mankind in justification or apology for those who entertained such prejudices i must remark that the Scotch of that period were guilty of similar injustice to the English, whom they branded universally as a race of purse-proud, arrogant epicures. Such seeds of national dislike remained between the two countries, the natural consequences of their existence as separate and rival states. We have seen recently the breath of a demagogue blow these sparks into a temporary flame, which I sincerely hope is now extinguished in its own ashes." It was then, with an impression of dislike, that I contemplated the first Scotchman I had a chance to meet in society. There was much about him that coincided with my previous conceptions. He had the hard features and athletic form said to be peculiar to his country, together with the national intonation and slow pedantic mode of expression, arising from a desire to avoid peculiarities of idiom or dialect. I could also observe the caution and shrewdness of his country in many of the observations which he made, and the answers which he returned. But I was not prepared for the air of easy self-possession and superiority with which he seemed to predominate over the company into which he was thrown, as it were by accident. His dress was as coarse as it could be, being still decent, and, at a time when great expense was lavished upon the wardrobe, even of the lowest who pretended to the character of gentlemen, this indicated mediocrity of circumstances, if not poverty." his conversation intimated that he was engaged in the cattle trade no very dignified professional pursuit and yet under these disadvantages he seemed as a matter of course to treat the rest of the company with the cool and condescending politeness which implies a real or imagined superiority over those towards whom it is used when he gave his opinion on any point it was with that easy tone of confidence used by those superior to their society in rank or information as if what he said could not be doubted and what was not to be questioned mine host and his sunday guests after an effort or two to support their consequence by noise and bold averment sunk gradually under the authority of mr campbell who thus fairly possessed himself of the lead in the conversation i was tempted from curiosity to dispute the ground with him myself confiding in my knowledge of the world extended as it was by my residence abroad and in the stores with which a tolerable education had possessed my mind. In the latter respect he offered no competition, and it was easy to see that his natural powers had never been cultivated by education. But I found him much better acquainted than I was myself with the present state of France, the character of the Duke of Orleans, who had just succeeded to the regency of that kingdom, and that of the statesman by whom he was surrounded, and his shrewd, caustic, and somewhat satirical remarks were those of a man who had been a close observer of the affairs of that country on the subject of politics campbell observed a silence and moderation which might arise from caution the divisions of whig and tory then shook england to her very centre and a powerful party engaged in the jacobite interest menaced the dynasty of hanover which had been just established on the throne every ale-house resounded with the brawls of contending politicians, and as mine host's politics were of that liberal description which quarrelled with no good customer, his hebdomadal visitants were often divided in their opinion as irreconcilably as if he had feasted the common council. The curate and the apothecary, with a little man, who made no boast of his vocation, but who, from the flourish and snap of his fingers, I believe to have been the barber, strongly espoused the cause of High Church and the Stuart line. The excise man, as in duty bound, and the attorney, who looked to some petty office under the crown, together with my fellow-traveller, who seemed to enter keenly into the contest, staunchly supported the cause of King George and the Protestant succession. Dire was the screaming, deep the oaths. Each partly appealed to Mr. Campbell, anxious, it seemed, to elicit his approbation you're a scotchman sir a gentleman of your country must stand up for hereditary right cried one party you're a presbyterian assumed the other class of disputants you cannot be a friend to arbitrary power gentlemen said our scotch oracle after having gained with some difficulty a moment's pause i haven't a much dubitation that king george well deserves the predilection of his friends and if he can hold the grip he has gotten why doubtless he may make the Gauger here a commissioner of the revenue, and confer on our friend Mr. Kytum the preferment of solicitor-general, and he may also grant some good deed or reward to this honest gentleman who is sitting upon his portmanteau, which he prefers to a chair. And questionless, King James is also a grateful person, and when he gets his hand in play, he may, if he be so minded, make this reverend gentleman Arch-Prelate of Canterbury and Dr. Mixit chief physician to his household, and commit his royal beard to the care of my friend Latherum. But as I doubt Mickle whether any of the competing sovereigns would give Rob Campbell a taste of aquavite, if he lacked it, I give my vote in interest to Jonathan Brown, our landlord, to be the king and prince of skinkers, conditionally that he fetches us another bottle as good as the last. This sally was received with general applause, in which the landlord cordially joined, and when he had given orders for fulfilling the condition on which his preferment was to depend, he failed not to acquaint them, that, for as peaceable a gentleman as Mr. Campbell was, he was, moreover, as bold as a lion. Seven highwaymen had he defeated with his single arm, a beset him as he came from which interest. "'Thou art deceived, friend Jonathan,' said Campbell, interrupting him. "'They were but barely two, and two cowardly loons as man could wish to meet with all.' "'And did you, sir, really?' said my fellow traveller, edging his chair, uh, I should have said his portmanteau, nearer to Mr. Campbell. "'Really and actually beat two highwaymen, yourself, alone?' "'In troth did I, sir,' replied Campbell, "'and I think it nay great thing to make a saying about it.' "'Upon my word, sir,' replied my acquaintance, "'I should be happy to have the pleasure of your company on my journey. "'I go northward, sir.' This piece of gratuitous information concerning the route he proposed to himself, the first I had heard my companion bestow upon any one, failed to excite the corresponding confidence of the Scotchman. We can scarce travel together, he replied dryly. You, sir, doubtless, are well mounted, and I for the present travel on foot, or on a highland sheltie that does not help me much faster forward. So saying, he called for a reckoning for the wine and throwing down the price of the additional bottle which he had himself introduced, rose as if to take leave of us. My companion made up to him, and taking him by the button, drew him aside into one of the windows. I could not help overhearing him pressing something, I supposed his company upon the journey, which Mr. Campbell seemed to decline. "'I will pay your charges, sir,' said the traveller, in a tone as if he thought the argument should bear down all opposition. "'It is quite impossible.' said campbell somewhat contemptuously i have business at Rothbury, but i am in no great hurry i can ride out of the way and never miss a day or so for good company upon my faith sir said campbell i cannot render you the service you seem to desiderate i am he added drawing himself up haughtily travelling on my own private affairs and if you will act by my advisement sir you will neither unite yourself with an absolute stranger on the road nor communicate your line of journey to those who are asking you no questions about it he then extricated his button not very ceremoniously from the hold which detained him and coming up to me as the company were dispersing observed your friend sir is too communicative considering the nature of his trust that gentleman i replied looking towards the traveller is no friend of mine but an acquaintance whom i picked up on the road i know neither his name nor business and you seem to be deeper in his confidence than i am i only meant he replied hastily that he seems a thought rash in conferring the honour of his company on those who desire it not the gentleman replied i knows his own affairs best and I should be sorry to constitute myself a judge of them in any respect. Mr. Campbell made no farther observation, but merely wished me a good journey, and the party dispersed for the evening. Next day I parted company with my timid companion, as I left the great northern road to turn more westerly in the direction of Osbaldistone Manor, my uncle's seat. I cannot tell whether he felt relieved or embarrassed by my departure, Considering the dubious light in which he seemed to regard me, for my own part, his tremors ceased to amuse me, and, to say the truth, I was heartily glad to get rid of him. End of Volume 1 Chapter 4th